I'm Michael Foster, and you're listening to It's Good to Be a Man, the podcast where we are extending God's house and father rule by helping men to establish their own houses in strength, workmanship, and wisdom. Well, we're back in the studio, motivated by the need to promote our book. That's right. It's Good to Be a Man, a handbook for godly masculinity is finally complete and ready for pre-order. You can buy it from Canon Press. You can go to their website. I'll put a link in the show notes. You can also get a Kindle version off Amazon. The book will be released on November 30th of 2021, so just in time for Christmas. So go check that out. Today's episode is about surviving cancel culture by learning how to stand up to cry bullies. A.W. Tozer once quipped that to be right with God often means to be in trouble with men. And I think that's a good summary for the entire book of Acts. The leaders of the early church found themselves under attack by violent mobs, drugged before wicked courts, and even killed by those who claimed to be representatives of God. And for what? For telling the truth. For obeying King Jesus and preaching his gospel. The book of Romans tells us that unbelievers suppress the truth and unrighteousness. The people we must face today in the church and without don't want to hear the truth. It's not a lack of ability. It's a moral decision. They despise the truth. In Galatians 4.16, Paul, speaking to the churches he helped found, asks, So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? The answer today, in many cases, is yeah. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. John 3, verses 19-21 through Truth-telling makes enemies in a world that loves lies and prefers to live in a fantasy. That is why Jesus said, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The word of God is true, and it's liberating. It frees you. But that freedom requires repentance, and repentance comes with a conflict. Will you love the chains of your sin? Or will you bow the knee and serve the righteous one? Will you continue to live in the darkness? Or will you live in the light as he is in the light? Will you continue to willfully believe and cherish lies to propagate fantasies? Or will you submit to and boldly proclaim the truth of God's word? This is the conflict that truth-telling forces. It creates a crisis, a moment when someone is confronted with their lostness and rebellion. And a lot of folks don't like that. Hence, to be right with God often means to be in trouble with men. This is why the apostles in the early church were constantly harassed by mobs. They were always in trouble, and it seems like that's where we are at again. So if you find yourself in a similar situation of the apostles and the early Christians, this podcast might be helpful for you. I want to give you a few short reflections from Acts on how to stand up to the mob. First. 
You must keep speaking the truth with boldness. Never back down. Don't apologize for the truth. Declare it. Then pray. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservant may speak your word with all confidence. Acts 4.29 And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Acts 4.31 What the devil and his agents uh, want is silence. They want you to be quiet to keep it to yourself. Thus the Sanhedrin said, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. In the weight of glory, C.S. Lewis writes, when the modern world says to us aloud, you may be religious when you're alone, it adds under its breath, and I will see to it that you are never alone. To make Christianity a private affair while banishing all privacy is to regulate it to the rainbow's end of or the Greek kalends. That is, one of the enemy's stratagems. Luce is right. The tactic is always to find ways to limit the spread of God's word. They will reduce when and where you can speak it. Some, the more crafty ones, will also try to limit it to a narrow gospel message. In other words, you can only talk about salvation by grace alone and no other facet of God's word. You must not talk about what the scriptures have to say about government or sexuality or any other thing that might cause a stir. We must resist this. We must speak. We must tell the truth and ask that God would give us the boldness to speak his word in the face of the mob. We must trust in the power of God's word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How do we stand up to the crowd? If God wills, we'll convert them by speaking the truth. Second, you must be wise and strategic in how you speak to the crowd. I didn't say winsome. This isn't because you shouldn't be winsome. You should. If by winsome you mean appealing or attractive, but that's not what most Christians mean by it these days. What they mean is to speak in such a way where no one gets upset. Being winsome is the 11th commandment, like thou shall not be offensive. Hence, they insist that Christians speak in a soft, sweet, and even unsure sort of tone. To be confident is to be arrogant. To offend is heresy. Now, tone does matter, but it's usually a way to sidestep the actual issues. So if someone is criticizing your tone, ask, would you agree with the content of what I said if I said it differently? Nine out of ten times, they'll admit that they wouldn't or try to weasel out. That's not what we're talking about, they'll say. Then, if they can't disregard you based on your tone, they'll try to do it by claiming you are only said what you said because you love controversy and the intention which comes with it. And provocators do exist. Pointless controversy is destructive. So you shouldn't lightly brush off such an accusation. Always examine yourself, lest they be right. But some men just hate anyone or anything that upsets the peace, even if it's a false peace. These men are quick to give in to the cries of unstable individuals, and especially senseless mobs. They just want it quiet. They're cowards, and cowards will not inherit the kingdom of God. Revelation 21, verse 8. So, consider this. Paul, looking intently at the council, said, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. The high priest Ananias commanded those standing beside him, Strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you sit to try me according to the law? In violation of the law, order me to be struck? 
But the bystander said, Do you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Interestingly, Paul is being sarcastic here. Augustine and Calvin both argue that Paul wasn't apologizing. Calvin puts it this way, I acknowledge nothing in this man which belongeth to the priests. Paul purged himself of this crime, yet so that he denieth that Ananias is to be counted as a priest of God, who has corrupted and perverted all the order of the church. What Paul does next is very crafty. He recognizes that he is in trouble, so he focuses on a key truth of the gospel that he perceives will split his opponents. By dividing them against each other, they are far less likely to be united against him. But perceiving that one group were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council, Brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee. I am on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. As he said this, there occurred a dissension between the Pharisee and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. Third, don't fall for gaslighting. The classic example of gaslighting is to switch something around on someone and then deny it when they challenge it. You must be imagining things. A common gaslighting technique used continually by false shepherds within the church is to convince you that you have sinned despite what you know. They will maintain a facade of righteous concern throughout and list many others to agree with them until you start questioning your own sanity. How can so many reputable people be wrong about you? How can so many men and women of good standing secretly be wicked and manipulative? Look how earnest they seem. Maybe you really did sin, and there is something to what they're saying. Here's an example of gaslighting in in Acts. But that I may not weary you any further, I beg you to grant us, by your kindness, a brief hearing. For we have found this man a real pest and a fellow who stirs up dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. And he even tried to desecrate the temple, and then we arrested him. We wanted to judge him according to our own law, Acts 24, verse 4 through 6. Our age of tolerance and victim culture has given birth to an entire class of people like this, the cry bully. These are people who engage in intimidation, harassment, or other abusive behavior while claiming to be victims. Often they are women enabled by white knights. Often they are nice guy pastors. If cry bullies are allowed to rule a church, that church is sure to die. Resist, correct, and if need be, expel them if you can. But be aware that it can be very difficult because cry boys are often master manipulators and will gather useful idiots around themselves to maintain the gaslighting illusion. They will make you look like the abusive one and try to turn things around so that you are the bad guy. Dealing with gaslighting is a master class in maintaining frame. It is extraordinarily difficult without allies. It's a battle of realities, and unfortunately most Christians are not taught how to judge truth claims and are apathetic at best about doing so anyway. Like we said at the start, they're conditioned to simply want quiet and will lash out against what they see as the source of the noise. So you must be prepared to lose everything for your love of truth, who remember is a person. But I don't want to end on such a dour note. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, we read this at verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. 
But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So we know that Paul was repeatedly drugged before pagan courts on false accusations. Some of them he was delivered from by the mercy of God, but eventually he did lose his head. Eventually he did uh, get martyred in one of Nero's courts. And so it would appear that the cry bullies won, but did they? They've had to stand before the king of kings and answer for their unfaithfulness. And Paul has stood before the king of kings and been welcomed into eternity. And so as you face down cry bullies, it's not just a matter of method and technique. It's a matter of your heart. Will you finish the race well? What are you trying to do? Are you trying to beat the mob? Or are you trying to please God? The key principle at the heart of standing up to cry bullies is a desire to honor God. It springs forth from a heart that fears God. And if you seek to please God in all that you do as you interact with these mobs and, and whiners, no matter what, you will win in the long run because God will be honored and he will finish the work that he started in you. Until next time, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Oh, 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 oh,